Hey and welcome back to our fifth and final episode of the LJMU 1823 podcast, um, the mini-series The Mental Edge, Performance Psychology at the Euros. I'm Dr Francesca Champ. And I'm Dr Gillian Cook. We're both lecturers in sport and performance psychology at Liverpool John Moores University. Today's episode follows um, probably one of the biggest nights in England's history in a footballing context in that they were successful in beating Denmark yesterday in the semi-final. Um, and it's been quite a hectic week since, really since we last spoke. So England made history in that they beat Germany in um, the last 16. They then went on to have a 4-0 win against Ukraine. And we now look ahead to them play, playing Italy in the final on Sunday. And I think it's going to be a really, really tough test. Um, And the Italian team are probably quite different to the English team in that they have a number of seasoned professionals. They used to play in a game of this size, whether that's European finals or World Cup finals. And I think we saw from their penalty shootout with Spain, they have a number of different tactics that they might like to employ um, when they're under high pressure situations. So, for example, Chiellini and Bonucci, they're two centre halves physical, powerful, um, dominant players. And Chiellini, who's the captain, just prior to the penalty shootout being taken, he was with um, Jordi Alba, with the referee, and he demonstrated what we would call gamesmanship. So gamesmanship is almost where we push the boundaries. We don't break the rules, but we push the boundaries in order to try and intimidate or gain an advantage over our opposition. And I think for everybody that watched it, at that moment in time, we were almost like, what on earth's going on here? And what we saw was Chiellini put his arm around the neck of Jordi Alba. He kind of pushed him in the face in a little bit of a really strange way. But at that moment in time, the commentator said it, and I remember sitting at home and saying, actually... This might demonstrate, or for me, this is a demonstration that Italy are going to go on and progress. They'll be successful in winning this penalty shootout. What I think is really important is England have the home advantage on Sunday. It's at Wembley. And we're looking forward to the fan presence. It's interesting that you you bring up the fans because we've obviously spoken before and people have spoken throughout the year about the influence that fans or the lack of fans or crowds have on players on their performance. But people haven't really spoken about fans themselves and what it means for fans to be back in stadiums and and back supporting football again. And it's just interesting because you you might be wondering why do people like sport? There is so much stress uh, to what. BBC Breakfast this morning and people were just talking about gosh last night was so stressful I was hiding behind the sofa and last night with the the commentary in the England match again people talking about stress so what you know what is it why is it that that we uh, support teams and and we really uh, get behind sport as a nation the other thing that that falls into stress is there was an interesting study that found that uh, it was after it was an England penalty shootout about uh, 10 or so years ago the rate of heart attacks actually went up (laughs) across the country and there was another study that that found that after France had won a penalty shootout, their rate of heart attacks the next day actually decreased. So there's an enormous amount of stress that actually gets transmitted 
So we've spoken about the negative sides of of uh, being a fan and, and supporting a, a team or a sport. So why is it that we do it? Well, as, as humans, we have a fundamental need to belong. So the, the basic psychological needs that, that we have, according to self-determination theory, are we have a need for competence, so to feel like we're good at whatever it is that we do, a sense of autonomy, so we feel like we have control. But really what goes into the, the fan element is we also have a need to be feel related to other people, that, that sense of community, that sense of social connection. And when you're a fan and, and you're wearing a, a shirt of your team, uh, if, if you're also wearing the same you know, shirt or top that, that I am, I'll think, oh, you know, you probably share the same values that I do. And you're wearing a top as well. You've got the same badge on. Maybe we can strike up a conversation about whatever it is, probably not even about football, but you create that shared sense of emotion and that shared sense of, of meaning and connection. So really, it's, it's fantastic to see fans back in stadiums because sport means so much more than just going along to to watch the football or watch the tennis or watch the cricket or or whatever it might be it's it's that sense of belonging that sense of community being in it together and just the shared sense of emotion uh, emotion is just a response to an event. So it's not the same as mood, which is more generalised, and you can't really pinpoint why you're feeling in that specific mood. But with emotion, it's that response to the event. And you see emotions and, and stress, which I spoke about a moment ago, going up, but also a sense of happiness and euphoria when a team does well. And self-esteem, interestingly, if you identify a lot with your team, if you're a really big fan of, of England or Italy or whoever it is that, that you're a big fan of, if if you really identify with that team, if that team does well, you actually get an increase in self-esteem and different uh, positive emotions from that. So there's a, a huge... Uh reason why it's, it's great to have fans back and really being a, a fan of a, a football team or whatever it might be really means so much more than uh, just supporting and, and wanting success on the pitch. I think so and what you touched upon there really sprung to mind two things that I saw last night before the game. So when we talk about fans being in the stadium that's one thing but I think international football extends far beyond that and it's the country's feeling back home wherever that might be. So Nadia Nadim who's a um, Danish international national women's player she spoke about feeling no atmosphere like it ever before in Denmark she said the country's almost come together in support of the Danish team from a performance perspective but also they've been united as a consequence of the incident that happened with Christian Eriksen and I think for us across the whole world really given the last 18 months that we've all been through there was also a nice um, snippet from the media panel in the English team where they said the Euros has acted as a form of glorious distraction and it's allowed us to find joy it's allowed us to find hope and have a little bit of optimism and that sense of unity that I guess is running really strongly through our country and probably through the Italians as well at the moment that it is that sense of feeling something bigger than what you're currently involved in and I guess Yes, a sense of being something um, part of something that's bigger than you relates to the next concept a little bit around followership and we have spoke about leadership we spoke about it heavily in the first episode it's all over the tv it's a really hot topic in sports psychology but what we haven't looked at is a concept called followership and there's a nice quote that basically says 
To be an excellent leader or a demonstration of excellent leadership is actually having followers. It's that followership, whether people are willing to engage in and buy into what you're trying to do. And there's been so much research around the qualities or the characteristics of a good leader. There hasn't necessarily been so much around what it means to be a follower. And generally in society, I would say that follower is a word that we might approach with caution. We might approach negatively. We might believe, I don't want to be a follower. I want to be a leader. I want to have those leadership characteristics. But actually in a team sport, it's equally valuable to be able to buy into what your leader is saying. And I think one example of followership um, that's really stood out to me in the Euros so far is the Danish team. I don't want to stray away from England's success, but I think most evidently is with regards to followership, it's around your ability to initiate and make decisions to take control when that leadership is absent. And I think that's what the Denmark team did really, really well when the event happened with Christian Eriksen. So what emerged was a group of followers underneath their manager that said, in this situation, right, we have no guidance, but we know what to do. And they took ownership for that situation and they worked collectively as a group and demonstrated their togetherness. It's, uh, as as you say, with... uh Denmark uh, really pulling together as a team and, and that followership element and you're absolutely spot on when you talk about leadership we there are thousands of literally thousands of books out there telling or, or potentially giving instructions or, or writing about what makes a great leader and that goes back to the early 1900s the great man theory the there's a as you say there's these specific characteristics or traits and if you do this to others then that will create uh, great outputs for your organization or whatever it might be whereas we've now progressed from that to theories of leadership now encompass followership leadership isn't something that i do to you or, or you do to me but it's a process that involves everyone within it and by very definition if you're a leader well you have to have followers and if, if we think about the word leadership for a, a minute it comes from the Anglo-Saxon laid, meaning path. So a leader creates the path for other people to follow. So they create the, the vision, the values, well, co-create the vision and the values, and also co-create the conditions that enable followers to thrive. But as you say, what is it that, that followers are doing? What are some of the things that we see from followers that help to create? You know, if the, if the leader creates the conditions, what is it that the followers are doing with those conditions to to move the team forward. And from a followership perspective, typically uh, there's an interesting matrix where uh, you have, suppose, two different things. You can either be high or low on critical thinking or high or low on engagement. And where we want people to be is high on critical thinking and high on active engagement. So critical thinking, you're asking questions about why are we making this tactical choice or why are we doing this or that the leader will then explain why so we're doing this for this and this reason and if I then hear that from you and and hear why we're doing it I will then trust that decision so much more and if my trust is higher my discretionary effort will be so much higher if I know why we're doing something. And again, that active engagement. So when the decision has been made, you absolutely go behind it. Whatever that decision is, you go full throttle behind. And we've seen from from Gareth Southgate's leadership and that the followership of, of the team, as you say, followership isn't a passive obedience that people probably thought it was or 
spoke about it in the 1950s that followership was, was obedience. Now followership is it's an active process that other people are involved in. And we can really see from, from the England team that a number of uh, different decisions have been uh, made. Gareth Southgate has asked the team their perspectives on different things. It's really co-created and that culture uh, really seems to be one that, that the team can really move forward and thrive together. I think what you're touching upon there as well is psychological safety. That really springs to mind when you talk about that ability to provide, for me, followership is also giving a leader feedback, not necessarily around the decisions that they've made, but having the courage to have honest and open conversations with your teammate and those in positions of power. And in order to facilitate that, we have to create an environment of psychological safety. And I guess that then leads me to some um, considerations around, obviously, we've got the 11, the starting 11, which has changed and been tweaked over time, depending on the different games, probably to meet the tactical requirements of the opposition. But then we've also got the squad players, who are the players that are often brought on, and those that haven't actually even really been in the squad yet, such as Ben Chilwell, who's not got a minute, and he still has a role as a follower. And what was really nice, I think it was Steve Holland, who's the assistant manager. So yesterday he said Connor Cody, who again hasn't played a minute for the England team, has been one of the most important members of the team throughout the tournament in reinforcing the values and beliefs, reinforcing what's said from the manager. And he was like he's, he's like a captain before the game. The way that he stands up, the way that he speaks, the way that he commands the room, in as a squad member who hasn't stepped foot onto the pitch, I think that demonstrates that followership, followership really strongly. But perhaps from the other side of things, we can see how it would bring challenges for players. And so, for example, Jack Grealish, um, he's probably had the weight of the world on him during this Euros. Um, he's been labelled as the superstar sub. He's been expected to start a number of games and actually last night he was brought on in the second half again to change the game in the same way that he was against Germany and we saw him brought back off the pitch which is a really unusual um, and strange event especially in a game as big as a Euro semi-final and I'm wondering what your thoughts are around his future um, engagement as you said level of engagement as a follower but also his um, level of critical thinking and how he might challenge Gareth Southgate around that decision. So as you say, when you've got a, a different players within the, the squad, it's important that everyone feels value and knowing that your your value and, and contribution to a team is way more than just being in the starting 11. And you can find that uh, across football that uh, if, if players aren't playing and they're made to feel unvalued, then that can start to create difficulties and start to create problems. Whereas what seems to have been happening in the, the England team is that Gareth Southgate and the support team around him have really enabled the players to feel valued, their contribution, the positivity they bring to the team. Because tournament football, you know, it's about momentum. It's about, uh, you, you know, it's, it's a long slog and you've got to keep building and keep getting better as you go because in theory, the, the, this quality of opposition gets higher as you go. So it's really important that the, the energy and the mood of the camp, which can go up and down because it, it's draining, it's exhausting, you get adrenaline spikes and... Uh, huge exhaustion can come in. So it's important that everyone within that camp has that positivity. But I think what we'll see from 
Gareth Southgate with uh, not just Jack Grealish but with the squad is really from a, a leadership perspective uh, using something called MAMAS. So MAMAS is about how you uh, motivate uh, and and really what are the key drivers of, of human endeavour. So M stands for meaning. So if uh, you create meaning and purpose within the team, everyone knows why they're doing it. You're doing it for more than just you. Then that you know people their effort is so much higher. So that's the M. The A is about autonomy. So that goes back to the critical thinking that uh, you can make decisions or at least have some input in those decisions, some influence, but then you you understand that, uh, okay, this is the the correct decision. This is what was done for the team, potentially Mm -hmm. from a tactical perspective. And so this is what happened moving forward. But if players feel as though they have an influence or a bit of an input, it was their choice to to do whatever it might be, then that can, not necessarily, but in different areas, it doesn't necessarily have to be on the pitch, but in different endeavours that they do, if there's an element of choice, that can really help. The next M stands for mastery. So again, if you create an environment where it's not all about Obviously, it is about winning, but not just about that. We're focusing on the process. How is it that we're going to win? What are our metrics of performance? What are our benchmarks or or KPIs, key performance indicators you hear spoken about a lot? What is it that we need to do to win? And if our focus is on that, if our focus is on the inputs, then the outputs take care of themselves. The next A is appreciation. So if you appreciate the efforts and value other humans, their efforts and discretionary effort and their their liking and bringing into the team spirit will be higher. And the final S in Mamas is social support. So uh, it's feeling that Gareth Southgate really cares about me as a human being, as an individual. He knows who my partner is. He knows what my cat's name is <laughs> and, and really shows that he cares about me. He likes me. And therefore, my sense of connectedness to the team will be so much higher. So I think what, what we'll see from Gareth Southgate at the minute is really around uh, those five different areas, which really are the, the key drivers of human excellence and uh, performance. And what's really nice, so the last one that you touched upon there of social support, I think that brings us into knowing that this is a team sport. England, until last night, they hadn't conceded a goal. Um, Inevitably, it was always going to happen at one point. And what was spoken about or what has been spoken about a lot is the concept of team resilience. Team resilience is different to individual resilience. Of course, each of those 11 players that step foot on the pitch will have Um, a level of individual resilience that means that they can adapt to and withstand particular stresses or demands but actually as a team for optimal performance we also have a level of team resilience team resilience just in the most basic of terms is how we might utilize employ um, and mobilize different resources when we're faced with adversity experiences or when we're faced with stressor and I think Gareth Southgate spoke about it in the post-match interview and he was like, conceding the goal was that moment of adversity. We were prepared for it. We knew how to deal with it. And it's almost like the um, framework of we anticipate the stress that we might face. We know how we would respond to it. So we adapt to that stress. We withstand that stress and we mend that stress. And the things that I'd like to touch on in team-based resilience is I think we should co-create a framework. I don't think it's around a manager or a leader trying to um, challenge players. I think it's more around players sharing their stories 
and of challenges experiences that they may have had in their life or in sport more generally to almost demonstrate we've all been through adversity what are some of the situations as a team that we've dealt with well and how did we deal with them well so what were the resources that we employed what we d- did we do in that moment and actually what might be threats to us what are the situations that we find really challenging and how might we better deal with them in the future and there's loads of things around pressure training which I know you've spoken about before and just simple things that managers might do such as training in adverse conditions shifting the times um, making things a little bit unorganized so that the players have to respond but I also like the narrative where we move away from resilience always being built through adversity. I think resilience can be built through positive experiences and that's probably been shown with the England team this tournament in that if we have a really positive experience, we can also take things from that. What contributed to us handling a situation so well? And there's probably um, a real lack of literature on that side of things to say that England have experienced a number of successes so far on this tournament that will undoubtedly have positively contributed to their team resilience. So we can take positive experiences, unpick them to understand what contributed to them, the characteristics that were at play, the characteristics that were demonstrated, the team cohesion that was demonstrated um, to further develop that team resilience. It's really nice what you say there about team resilience and taking the positivity moving forward and and not just looking at negative experiences. So as you say, what happened in the the last match or the last whatever it might be, what are some of the good things, That what are the lessons learned that we can take from that? And if we really have a continual focus on the process, so what is it that we're aiming to do, then that means that you can then move forward as a group because you can think well we aim to do this did we do it did we not well we did it sort of we aim to do this did we do it did we not absolutely and it gives you your your focus and your attention is on things that you can control because again I suppose that the big thing that in, in resilience, but also just in sports psychology that you hear all the time is control the controllables. And if your focus is on that, then that can help you move forward positively. But you also uh, use the word adversity, uh, which is interesting. So it's again, watching... Uh, on BBC Breakfast this morning and Alan Shearer was being interviewed and he said that he had written a letter to Gareth Southgate I think last week saying that you know I I can tell that you're still hurting from uh, Euro uh, 96 and you know you know don't you're doing a a, you know really great things for for the country and uh, you know don't feel that that hurt but it's interesting because when you look at the literature around adversity and adversity and growth that the certainly the literature suggests that the there is a, a link between winning an Olympic gold medal and experiencing adversity in childhood whether that be uh, the death of a parent the death of a sibling a divorce of, of parents whatever it might be and the the theory behind it is that you've uh, experienced an, an adversity and that that has altered uh, your the way that you might look at the world so your sense of, of meaning your your values might be altered because of that but it can also give you that huge sense of uh, wanting to maybe it's prove yourself uh, that the word that's being used a lot at the minute is redemption that so this is Gareth Southgate's opportunity for redemption so he has really used that adversity to work harder his uh, the number one source of, of motivation the literature suggests is a sense of injustice and uh, 
Certainly redemption isn't injustice, but it's in a a similar ballpark that he's used that to move, uh, to really move forward and redouble his efforts to work harder to then go on and and hopefully achieve success with this uh, great England team. And I guess that's all that we can hope for, that this, the positive momentum that they've built up over the last month or so continues for another week and on Sunday we're successful um, in beating the Italians but of course we know it's going to be a really really tough task but we hope that you've enjoyed the series Um, we hope that you've attained something from it or you've gained something from it and thank you for listening thank you everyone and uh, hope you've enjoyed listening